0: Amen. If you have your Bible, please turn to the book of James. Book of James, we're going to be in chapter uh, 4, starting out there. We're uh, in the midst of a series, James. Uh, It's a book of gospel wisdom. As you you walk through the book, you realize that it's very similar to Jesus' speaking of the Sermon on the Mount. It's very similar to the Old Testament book, the Proverbs. But what's different about even, even the Proverbs that really point to God as a whole, James really focuses on the why as to why we do good. All right, It's, a, it's all about living out our real faith in a real world. Okay, It's not just saying I believe in God and I, I do things in my head. I have these uh, want-tos that I never get around to. James says that, listen, if you truly have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, it's going to show, and it's going to show right here, not out up some, somewhere in the sky, these heavenly thoughts alone. It's going to be right here in our real world so that the people can see what real faith looks like, no matter what you're going through, the trials, the tribulations, everything. So the main idea of this book, if you want the thesis of the book of James, you could find that actually in chapter 1, where James says in James 1, 26 through 27, he says, if anyone thinks he's religious, and again, the word religious is not talking about this high orthodoxy, I'm a religious person because I dress this way, because I say cute Christianly things. When he uses the term religion, he's talking about someone who has a genuine faith and trust in Christ. And that faith in him leads to a joyful obedience. So again, he says, if anyone thinks that he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. His faith is dead. But religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this. To visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. So he says that if you truly have a faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you have allowed Him to pay the penalty of your sin instead of you living on your own, trying to do better and do better and do better and constantly and consistently failing. If you trust in Jesus Christ, this is what it's going to look like in the real world, it's going to be evidenced not by perfection, praise God, but by progress in three areas. Area number one, your communication. We talked about that in chapter three with the tongue. Uh, your compassion. We see that happen throughout this book, but specifically in chapter two. And then, of course, last week and today, we're talking about conduct. Okay, your conduct uh, is going to represent Who's you are? Last week, just to kind of give a little bit of, of, um, I guess, backstory, because today is talking about conduct as well. In James chapter three, we introduced two types of wisdom. Two types of wisdom. You find that in James three thirteen through four ten. We don't have time to read that, but in a nutshell, what happens is there are two types of wisdom. One is a heavenly. It is a spiritual, it's bigger and greater than what's just here on earth, and it's birthed from God Himself. All right? But then there's another type of wisdom that's earthly. It's all about what goes on here. It's not spiritual at all. All right? It just focuses on the accumulation of things about making me happy down here, and it has an origin, and it's not of God. It's demonic, is what it says. One of these types of wisdom leads others to eternal life. There is another type of wisdom. That is only good in this life. And not really good there either. Because if you're focusing on here and now. We're going to find out today. Even that's a shot in the dark. One of these wisdoms is focused on the self-exaltation. To the neglect of other people around us. The other wisdom focuses on the good. That they can do to others. And to the submission of self. One type of wisdom as we talked about. Uh. It shows by your actions, you worship yourself as God, which uses the term selfish ambition and jealousy. That means simply this. There is a type of wisdom that says, everybody, look at me. I'm the most important person in your life. And we, we knew that that was earthly, that was unspiritual, and it was demonic because of this. If my goal in life is for you to look at me, okay, because, because my jealousy says I'm number one, we know that to be false, Every one of us know that at best we are far second. At best. And so we're leading other people to focus on us instead of what is ultimately important. So God's jealousy is a different type of jealousy. God says, look to me, focus on me, because he is number one. And that's the beauty of looking to Christ, because when we do, we are looking at what's best. And we're following what is best. So God says go after the wisdom that knows all. Not the wisdom that thinks and does not act according to the heart of God. Which means that one of these wisdoms is going to lead to the destruction of relationships. We are a church of relationships, right? The type of wisdom from the earth focuses on you, destroys relationships. Because it's all about you. Another wisdom opens doors to deeper, fuller relationships with each other and with God. So that was last week, all right? Let's talk about today. We had two questions last week. Today we're going to talk about two statements, two statements that pertain to our conduct. Or to put it a different way, there are two wisdom warnings that James gives us to avoid. Two wisdom warnings that James is telling us to avoid now i'm just going to be honest with you some part of this message you're going to say that doesn't apply to me that applies to my spouse alone all right others are going to say this applies to maybe my kids or my parents but i'm going to warn you on this I, i fear that everything that i'm about to say is going to apply to every one of us if we seek the wisdom that god is asking us to okay if you're focusing on worldly wisdom guess what then you're really not the problem, right? Everybody else is. But the wisdom of God says, really open your heart to my word and see if what I'm saying applies to you. And let me tell you something. If it does apply to you, then let me tell you something. It is a good thing that you're here this morning. Okay? God is so good that he brought you here this morning to hear this. Why? So that whatever it is that's between you and God can be taken away so that you can have either a fuller relationship with God Or a beginning relationship with God by trusting in His Son. So please engage in this. Uh, I think that it's going to really talk to every one of us. Alright, so two statements that pertain to conduct. Um, Wisdom warning number one. Planning your life without God. That's also known as a term that I've heard before in books and it makes a lot of sense. Practical atheism. We may say we believe in God. But who's in charge of your planning? Who is in charge of your life? Many times we're going to find out that we plan our life without God. Maybe except for Sunday morning, right? But other than that, God is just a passing thought. Let's go to James chapter 4, verse 13 through 17. In both of these wisdom wisdom warnings, it begins with these two words, come now. James 4, 13 through 17. He says, come now. You who say... Today or tomorrow, we're going to go into such and such a town and we're going to spend a year there and we're going to trade and make a profit. Yet, you do not know what tomorrow is going to bring. What is your life? For you are a mist, a vapor, that appears for a little time and then it vanishes. Instead, James says, we ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. But as it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. There's a lot there, and that's only half of our, of our message today. So uh, we're going to go through this pretty quick. So put your listening ears on. We're about to roll. Here's what he wants to open up with. What is it that you and I do when it comes to planning our life? James says that for the most of us, for the majority of us, we plan this way. I want my life to be lived for me. I want my life to be lived for me. Well, how how do you know that? How how do I know that I'm living my life? Because I I say I'm a Christian. So my life should show that I have Christ as my captain of my ship, so to speak. All right? All right. But how is this reflected in your calendar? Look at your calendar. Look at your appointments. Look at your activities on your calendar. He says, come you who say today or tomorrow we'll go into such and such a town, spend a year there, trade and make a profit. How is this reflected in your calendar? If you say that God is the leader of everything in my life, how is that reflected in your calendar? How is that reflected in your location? Why are you here? Why are you right here in the Spartanburg area? Why are you here? Some of you are like, well, I was born here. That's just the way that it goes. Great, that's fine. But really think through these questions. What does my calendar look like? Why am I where I'm at? How about this? Why are you with who you're with? I'm speaking about relationships. Why are you with who you're with? Is that your decision Or is that God's will for your life? Right? How about your career, your workplace? Did you not only consult God about it, did you listen for His response and follow through? Why are you doing what you're doing? And some of you who are in your job right now, let me ask you this. Are your attitudes at your job... And are your activities at your job and your career, are they Christ-honoring? Some of us are at places we don't want to be. I've heard people, I even heard a, a speech uh, yesterday, as a matter of fact, on YouTube that says there's close to 70% of people are dissatisfied in their, in their work, okay, where, where they go to work at. I mean, that's a high number, But listen, if that's true, how are you responding to that? How does that play out tomorrow? How's it going to play out at work tomorrow? Are people around you going to know, boy, this person hates their job. This person right here is tough to get along with. They want to be somewhere else. Or do you glorify God where you're at? These are the thoughts that James has. Come now, you say. Today or tomorrow we'll go into such a, such a town. Spend a year there and trade there. Connect with people. Make relationships and, and make a profit. question I have is, who is in charge of your calendar? Who's in charge of your location, your relationships, your career? If we're honest, if we're honest, we won't say this out loud, but if we're honest in our hearts, here's what we say. I will make my own plans. I will go where I want to go. I will invest in relationships. I will invest in the people I want to invest in. I know what God's Word says, but I want to invest in relationships that I want to invest in. I will do what I want. I think we've bought into this prosperity lie that says this. Number one, I hope God approves, but really we say this. God wants what I want, right? Remember last week? You know what we want? Okay? Our wicked desires. Remember we talked about that? You read chapter three and four. That's what we want. We want a wisdom that's that's birthed in the world. Okay, that's birth not of God, but of Satan. That's what we want. We want our own selfish desires to be accomplished. We want everyone to focus on us, our likes, our desires, our wants. And yet we boldly proclaim, even in Christian terms, God wants what I want, right? Not the God of the Bible. He's got something better planned for you than simply what... You want. Now, before we go any further, uh, when we talk about these two statements, there's an issue that I want to warn us against. Okay? The issue in this passage, the the rub that God has upon uh, either His people or people who don't know Him yet, is not that they have a strong work ethic. All right? Let's just get that down. Careful planning is actually highlighted in the book of Ecclesiastes and in the book of Proverbs and even in the book of Colossians. God commends a strong work ethic. Look at this. Colossians chapter 3 verse 23 and 24. Listen to what he tells the the believers in Colossae. He says, Whatever you do, work heartily for the Lord and not for men. Knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. For you are serving the Lord Christ. So God is saying don't work hard. Okay? Don't not make money. Don't not make money. Yeah, that worked. Uh, That's not what he's saying. What God is getting to is the motivation behind what you're doing. Okay? The issue is a neglect of who you are and who God is. Look at verse 14, James four fourteen. The issue is a neglect of who you are and who God is. James 4, 14 says this. Think about all these grand, great plans that you're about to do, and it's a settled deal because you're so wise and you're so smart in and of yourself. He says, yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. Okay, we're planning 10, 20, 40 years ahead of us. And James is like, you don't know what tomorrow's going to bring. You know what? James is actually pretty generous there, isn't he? Because let's just be honest. I don't know what after the service is going to bring, really. Okay? I have my ideas. I have my plans. But we really don't know. All it takes is one buzz on your cell and everything changes right One call, one text, all your plans out the window. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. And then he goes on to say, what is your life? For you are a mist, a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes. James is not a big fan of self-improvement books, okay? He's not a fan of, I'm here to just pump you up and to encourage you. He wants to tell you the truth. James is not trying to make you feel small and insignificant. He's telling you you are small and insignificant. All right? And he's telling me that as well. Compared to who God is, we are small and we're insignificant. We don't even know what tomorrow holds. We are not even promised to be here tomorrow. We are literally a mist. So who am I and who is God? Here's an example just to kind of get our minds around before we can go any further. If the issue is the neglect of who we are and who God is, let's let this come to light. You and I, we are limited. God is limitless. I am dependent on, Upon everything. God is independent. We make plans even today. And we have to bow to the elements. Scripture says that the elements bow to him. I am just one of billions. Jesus is the one above all. I am a creature. He is the creator. I am temporary. I am here today and gone tomorrow. God is permanent. I have very little 45 year old understanding. God has never ceased being. He is all knowing. I am weak. He is all powerful. I am selfish. He is full of unconditional love. I am. I have to go with the flow. God directs the flow, so that's why I say it is absolutely foolish and unchristlike to say God wants what I want. For instead, we should say, "I want what He wants," and live in accordance with that truth. His way is best. So James is speaking, speaking to people who clearly aren't putting God first in their life. So this begs the question, why? Why would you not want why would you plan with God out of the picture? Why would you want to plan without God? Here's why in a nutshell. I'm going to give you the nutshell. I'm going to give you the extended version. The nutshell is this. Because God's plans interfere with ours. Let's just be honest. Because God's plans interfere with ours. Or to put it, the long version. Because God's great, eternal, holy, Christ-honoring, righteous, cannot fail, good for all who call upon His name plans, interfere with your selfish, egotistical, temporary, unclear, risky, unsure of momentary success, probably good for you and you alone plans. That's the truth of the matter. We don't want God messing with our today, even though his plans are better for tomorrow. And because we always, and always, many times, most of the time, choose our own way, we fall, we fail, and we sin. And here's the crazy part to those who are believers. We know better. We know better. Look at verse 17. James says, So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Okay. A lot of us, we describe sin the opposite, don't we? We describe sin as doing something we should not do. All right, that's sin. We shouldn't steat, we shouldn't lie, we shouldn't lust, we shouldn't uh, cheat, all those kind of things. We, we are so stuck on that. St- uh, sin is doing what we shouldn't do. Well, James gives us a new definition of sin not doing what we should do. Not doing what we should do. So, James is telling us as believers, we know what we should do. And, When we fail to do it, it's sin. So let me ask you a question. Do you know what the right thing is to do? Do you know today God's will for your life? Listen, I'm going to be so bold as to say yes. You know God's will for your life. You may not know fully like, God, are you leading me to this or or those kind of things that you can't really find a verse for and you're just going to have to rely on his peace. But here's what I do know. What you need to do right now, at this very moment, God has already told you what to do. He has already told you what to do. For example, here's what God's will for you today is. To spend time with Jesus. Enjoying his presence through prayer and the reading of his word. I don't have time for that. Okay? How about this? Time with God's people. Listen. If God is our father, and the church is his bride, then in a way, as R. Kent Hughes says, the church really is the mother. And we come to receive nourishment. We come to seek seek encouragement. We come to seek fellowship with each other that you cannot grow in your relationship with God without. God has built the church for his glory and for your good. To neglect that, when statistically it says the strong church attenders come twice a month, then what does that tell us? God, I know your will for my life. Okay, it's not this legalistic, come here at 10.30 and you think, no, it's about us being a family and joining together, worshiping Jesus and edifying one another. And we say, God, uh, you don't understand. I need my Sunday mornings for me. What does that mean? How about time with family? Many times our time with family is, is that last uh, bit of our time before we go to bed or, or that last, that passing thought that we have. And yet God says that our children are our greatest disciples. Those are the people we need to pour into, like Deuteronomy 6 4 says. Husbands are to love your wives. Women, you're to have a love relationship with your family and your spouse that that you graciously submit. And at this point, oh, don't you say love and submit. Listen, here's what it means. Women, love your husband and understand the God-given leadership they have for the home. And men die. Just as Christ died for the church. But we bucked that. Listen, the reason I'm so busy is for my family. No, it's not. No, it's not. You love your family. You love your God. You'll do what He tells you to do. You'll spend time with them. But I'm away for so long because of my family. No, you're away because you're selfish. I'm just being honest. Because you're selfish and you're trying to build your own kingdom. And you're using taking care of your family as an excuse. God calls that sin. God asks us to have Christ honoring financial wisdom. Talk more about that in a moment. But how about caring for a fellow man? How about caring for a fellow man? Our answer to all these is yes. Listen, I've got many things going on at the moment, right? Maybe when things calm down, I'll obey. Isn't that what's really happening? When things calm down, I'll obey. Listen, we are so busy planning our life that if we're honest, we have no room for God and what He says is important. If you have a schedule that is too full for the good that God has planned for you, it's sin. And we have to recognize that. So I ask you this. Does your calendar, does your family time, does your relationships, does your workplace conduct reflect a person That is seeking the will of God. So are you planning, planning your days without a thought of God? How about number two? Number two, there's two statements we want to really hammer on today. Number one, of course, uh, planning your life without God. How about this one? Planning your eternity without God. I said the first one is practical atheism. Remember that? Yeah, you may you may be a believer, you may be young in your faith, or you may just have uh, spent many, many years focusing on your own kingdom instead of God's. And so you you lift his name up a couple of times a week, but you spend the majority of your time building up your own kingdom. Because you're focused on your life versus God. If you plan your eternity without God, that's actual atheism. That's why in these statements, if you read the book of James, there's a word that comes out very often. It's the word brothers. Okay, so when he says brothers, he's talking about the family of God, brothers and sisters. In these portions, the word is not used. He's like a prophet in the Old Testament who is saying to Israel, Woe to Babylon. Babylon's not going to read this. He's writing this to tell you the end result of these types of people. And to warn you as believers not to fall into this trap. So what is the trap of planning your eternity without God? James chapter 5 verse 1 through 6. Let's walk through this. Come now. Just like the first statement. This come now you rich. Weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Uh, he doesn't sugarcoat, does he? He goes right to it. And, and really there's no... Uh, There's no recovery for what he's about to say. Come now, you rich. Weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. All those things that you thought were so important, gone. Your gold and your silver have corroded and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts, the Lord of Sabaoth. That's the Lord of the armies, okay, the heavenly armies. So you got that going against you, okay? Wow. Wow. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts for the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. That's that's some tough language that he's speaking as a prophet are telling to the to the people who are rich in the things of this world but are poor in spirit. They don't have a relationship with God. All that they're planning, all of their activities is focused on an eternity without God. Which means this, all there is, is now. So what do we do? We live for the now, don't we? Okay, this is reflected in what you do with your wealth. It's my money. Get that plate away from my pew. Uh uh. Keep moving. Keep moving. This is my money. How about this? I make money however I can. Think about the implications of that. I make money however I can. How about this one? I spend my money however I want. How about this one? All this kind of is implied in these passages. No one or nothing will get in my way of making and spending my money. The issue is not wealth. The issue is not wealth. It's something deeper. It's something darker. If you have your Bible, go to First Timothy chapter 6. First Timothy chapter 6. Planning your eternity without God. 1 Timothy chapter 6, he's speaking to the rich people who are believers. So the issue is not wealth. And some people say that wealth corrupts. I don't know that to be true, so if any of you are wealthy and you're feeling that bit of corruption, give it to me. And I want to spend a few moments kind of singing. I'm just kidding. A tough crowd. Tough crowd. But anyways, if you're there, alright, great. 1 Timothy chapter 6, let's take it verse 17 through 19. Timothy says that, or Paul says this, As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches. Because as we know, rich today, poor tomorrow. That could very well happen. We don't know. We don't know what tomorrow holds, right? He says, to not set your hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God. So really, a rich person, someone who's wealthy, someone who is better off than others, they can have two different types of life. A rich, uh, a true life and a fake life is what he's saying. And so that really brings us to the point here, right? The issue is not wealth. The issue is what you do with God, with what God has blessed you with. That's what this passage is saying. It's what you do with God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy, has blessed us with. So that that brings us back to James chapter 5 verse 5. James chapter 5 verse 5, listen to what the the heart of the issue is. It's not what you do with what God, it's not what, uh, excuse me, it's not about wealth, it's about what you do with his wealth. Look at verse 5. You, speaking to the rich people who don't have a relationship with God. He says, you have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. I mean, this is, these are some tough words. And time does not allow me to go through all of this. But just in a nutshell, this verse is telling us, The truth of the matter. Someone who is living without eternity in mind, without God in their thoughts. They are so focused on the earth and the luxury that they're not caring about other people. They're not caring about God's thoughts on any issue. They are living in luxury and they are prepared for a, they're not preparing for a day when they will be held accountable. A farmer once said this. He said, It's so amazing to drive by this one piece of property it's a large piece of property and it's full of turkeys okay so throughout the year he sees these turkeys and, and they're just living the life okay a lot of turkeys are out there wild and they're scavenging for food but these turkeys aren't they're living the life of luxury it's all about them they get plump okay they get fat and they are just loving life and then he says around october we see these turkeys start disappearing okay to which by december they're all gone well you know why right (laughs) you know right he says you have lived on the earth in luxury and self-indulgence you have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter it has been all about me. It's all about, now, even more so than my friends and my family. Ultimately, it's about me. Now, sometimes I'll look good so that people can look at me, so I'll throw a bone to people here and there, even my own kids. But it's ultimately about me. What James says is, guess what? You have planned your eternity without God. Guess what? Eternity's coming. Whether you expect it or not. So money is not the problem money is not the problem the problem as the apostle paul would say is the love of money the worship of money above and beyond all things i do ask you to turn one more time to 1st timothy chapter 6 1st timothy chapter 6 1 timothy 6 verse 9 and 10 1 Timothy 6, verse 9 and 10 says this. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. It's not saying that money does this. Look at what it says. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. And it is through this craving... That some have wandered away from the faith and have pierced themselves with many pangs. Planning your eternity without God means this and only this. I live for right now with no thought of consequences. With no thought of a future. If I can just believe, then I will succeed. That's, that's the mindset So why do you neglect eternity? Why do you neglect eternity? Why are you in this situation? Because you have forced yourself to believe that this is all there is. That's the short version, right? Okay? Why would you neglect eternity? Because you believe that this is all there is. Here's the long version. Because you hope that if you choose not to believe in heaven and hell punishment, and reward in the afterlife, then you could live today in selfishness, getting more by cheating other people, destroying others by building yourself up, ignoring the needy to fund your wants, neglecting to receive and share God's good eternal news of Jesus Christ that will demand faith, trust, and obedience to Him, but it secures eternal life. You give that up so that you can believe the false demonic wisdom that says, have it all now. This is all there is. So, how have we fallen into this trap of selfish unbelief? How have you, how have I fallen into this trap of selfish unbelief? Which some of you right now Have hit a major danger And said This doesn't apply to me This message does not apply to me Because I'm not rich I need some audience participation in this How many of you are wearing clothes today? Raise your hand If you are not, please keep your hand down Okay You're Wearing clothes, go ahead That's most of y'all Okay, great, great Okay, you kind of get the point there, okay? We don't know what real poverty is, okay? We really don't. Most of us in this room are wearing relatively clean clothes. Most of us, most of us had a meal this morning. Most of us, I'd say almost, I'd say all of us had a meal this weekend, This doesn't apply to me, right? Because I'm not rich. Some of us in here may say, I can't right now. You don't understand my financial situation. I can't give to God and others right now. I'd love to be able to help other people in their struggle, but I can't right now. And listen, that may be true. Listen, I I speak to you. I love you, okay? So hear what I have to say. That may be true to some of you. You can't give to God and others. That may be true. But the question is why? Why? Some of us in here, less than you think, some of us in here do have legitimate issues, and I am not downplaying that. But many of us do not have anything to give because we have spent it on ourselves. Some of us in this place, I'm not thinking of anyone specific. Some of us in this place have too much house. Have too much car. Have too many hobbies. Or one hobby that we really worship. We have invested so much into our stuff that we have no money to invest In eternity. Ouch. That's not an amen statement, that's an oh my statement. Listen to the audience I'm speaking to. This is the church. If the church isn't going to think about eternity, who will? If the church, if the money that's involved in the people of God is tied up into personal debts because of our selfish wants, who is going to feed the poor? Who is going to fund getting the gospel, not just in our neighborhoods, but in all the nations? I've got an answer for you. The answer is no one will. If we can plan as though God not only exists, but He is not only my Savior, but He is Lord and Master, my calendar has to change, my relationships have to change. My finances have to change. What good is it? You invest 30, 40, 60 years into your house. You get a new car every five years. And one day you fatten yourself up and you stand before a holy God and give an account. To what you have done for his glory. And all he sees. Is you investing in your own glory. Some of us are going to have this mindset. Man look at all the great things I have accumulated up here. And I'm going to stand before God that one day. If you read Revelation. Here's what happens when we stand before God. It says when we stand before him. And this is to the people who do not really know God. They they call him God by name. They come to church. Okay but they don't. They haven't invested their life in God. They're going to stand one day before God and it says heaven and earth will pass away. Which means all the stuff you thought would be on your legal team, all the things that you thought would stand up for you, it says that they pass away and you stand naked and alone before God. The only thing that you have in front of you is what you did for Him. I fear that many people who call themselves Christians... Are going to come to that day of judgment empty. But to those who are Christ followers. Who have put their faith and trust in him. Listen. I know what I'm going to be doing. About 60 years from now. Okay, I have, I have great confidence. In what I'm going to be doing in about 60 years. Okay. I'm going to be. I'm going to be with my father. Okay? I'm going to be looking at Jesus face to face. In about 60 years from now or sooner, I'm going to be with all those people who have gone before me, who have called upon the name of the Lord, and I'm going to be there. I have a great confidence because my dad told me that. But I have no idea what I'm doing at lunch. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? And neither do you. Let me ask you, what are you doing 50 years, 60, 80, 100 years, 1,000 years from now? Because what you do here on earth does matter. It does affect eternity. I'm going to read a passage of Scripture. It's Matthew 6, and then we're going to close. Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 through 21 and 24 says this. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Listen, I want to plea for all of you, okay? All of you is this. I got it from Facebook, so it must be true, okay? There was a picture and it had a quote on it. It makes so much sense to me. It says this. Often you hear, life is short, better enjoy it. How about this? Eternity is long, better prepare for it. So we have two options today. Two options today. Now I want to be very clear. I am not saying giving your money away buys you heaven. If you got that today, you've missed the point. All right? But Christians who do give, we give because we have been forgiven. We already have eternity secure. So now we literally, when we're on this earth, if we're still living and breathing, I'm doing it for the sake of Christ and other people. Because I'm done. I have heaven secured. So that's why we give. We had a formula at the beginning of this series. Okay? The wrong view that some of us have today is faith plus works equals salvation. That is false. That is not biblical. The true formula is faith plus salvation equals works. Meaning that once you have received him, you want to do works not in order to earn, but in order to bless. And that's the kind of people we want to be. So you have two options this morning as we leave. Option number one, live for the moment. You can choose to live for the moment. You could trust in your unpredictable plans. You could trust in investing in things that will not last. And you can hope that this is all there is. Option number two. You can trust in Jesus whose plans will never fail or be thwarted. You can trust him to save your soul by his gracious act of love. Paying for your sin, shame, selfishness, and greed. By taking all of your sin, all of my sin, and paying the penalty for you by dying in your place. By taking your so that you can have eternal life and if you receive him he's going to give you a new desire he's going to cause you slowly but surely as you connect with the church and we we do life together he's going to cause you to say you know what i don't want god to bless what i'm doing i want to do what god's blessing and you'll live in that destiny let's pray father god You're mighty, you're good, you're gracious, you're holy, you're everything that we need you to be and so much more. As a matter of fact, we need you every second of our lives, Father God, not just at the point of salvation, but every time, even in eternity, we're going to need you. You're going to be the light of all of eternity. So God, help us to live that reality today. Help us to not wait another moment. Father God, maybe through this message, someone realized that they have been putting their their trust in good deeds. All the things that they have done, that even the people around them said, "Good job, at a boy, at a girl," they realized that maybe this morning they realized that they have done it for themselves. Ultimately, they've chased the careers. They've chased the dollar signs. They chased the traveling for their own way. This morning, you would have shown them that they don't have you, Savior and Lord of their life. What they desperately need is for you to cleanse them, to save them, to make them yours by faith, trust, and obedience in you, by turning away from the life that they have lived and embrace the new good life that you want to give them that lasts for eternity. God, give them the courage and the boldness to stand up for you this morning and to receive you. God, I want to pray for those who are brothers and sisters who have done what we have all done and we continue to fight this idea that God is good at at planning salvation, but I'm in charge of the rest. God, help us to see this morning and to embrace the truth that you want to be Lord of all of our lives. Not just eternity, but the here and now. God, things that we have done, the plans that we have made that have been for our selfish motive, God, give us the courage to repent. To go to our spouses, to go to our kids, to go to our parents. God, to apologize for living a life of selfishness, greed, and ambition and committing to live the life that you have already planned out for us and in glorious obedience to you and in love for others. God, this type of stuff cannot be done without your Spirit. And God, I pray for those who are struggling right now financially. They've heard this message and it. And it weighed them down. God, I pray that you would be the God to lift them up. Help them to know that they're not alone. Many of us are struggling with financial difficulties right now. Give them the courage to ask us for help. Thank you that we are blessed with people like Barry who can walk people through uh, financial peace that can help them. God, I pray that you would give them courage, Lord, to, to do what it takes, Lord for them to be in a right relationship with you and to be in right actions with you. God, this is your invitation. Do it for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.